this is Geek Speak with Lyle Troxel. This is a show exploring the intersection of humanity and technology, coming from the fringes of Silicon Valley. I'm Lyle Troxel, and this is Geek Speak. In the air with me in Los Gatos, California, is Brian Cordan Young. Brian, good to see you. Hey, good to see you, Brian's a programmer and a marketeer and a father and raiser of chicken. How many chickens do you have right now? Oh, we're down to 10. Actually, no, 11. You know, I don't actually take care of the chickens as much as the kids do, so I don't actually know. But you've actually got your kids taking care of your chickens? Oh, yeah, yeah. They get the That's, eggs. They tell us when things are going to That is awesome. Haywire. I'm really jealous. And why don't you introduce Manton? Okay, so uh, first of all, we've been, of course, chronicling the... Uh, the foibles of Facebook and um, and Twitter and uh, the other social networks across the uh, past year or two as uh, they've affected our politics and our society. And uh, I wanted to invite our guest, Manton Reese, on because he's done a lot of th- thinking about um, Twitter, about social networks, and about his own service that he is building. So uh, Manton Reese is a longtime Mac developer. Uh, he has his own company called Riverfold Software, where he has a number of uh, products that he's sold for quite a while. Um, and he has recently left his day job and started a new project called uh, Microdot Blog. And uh, I want to welcome you to the uh, podcast, Manton. Great. Thanks so much for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's exciting. So Twitter's in the news a lot about people criticizing it for all of the um, lack of thoughtfulness they are, are giving <laughs> to who is on their service and what they can do, um, and their inconsistencies as well. And lots of people are tweeting at Jack saying, you've got you've to do this, you've got to do that. And um, you got off of Twitter quite a while ago and uh, had a lot of criticisms at the time about the service and uh, have written many blog posts about uh, social networking in general. And I would love to get your take on, on why social networks is, are, are broken. And specifically Twitter. Yeah. I mean, I, I wrote a post uh, specifically saying that social networks are broken. And I went through a, a, a couple points. With, with Twitter in particular, they, it's kind of out of control is, is the way I hear people talk about it. Like it feels like the founders, they were on to something at the beginning, you know, 10, 11, 12 years ago. But they weren't exactly sure what. And it was almost an accident that it worked out and became as huge as it is. And so they didn't plan for what was going to happen when there were so many users and it was mainstream and the president of the United States was on the platform. And so it's almost like they they just kind of got paralyzed and they weren't sure what to do. And then, of course, they've got, you know, advertisers, they've got shareholders, they've got all these other competing interests, and they just didn't know how to solve it. What are they trying to solve? What's the concern? What's the problem? Well, the biggest thing I think that people have been complaining about the the last couple of years in particular is just how, I mean, I said out of control, but there's, there's people being harassed, kind of hate speech, kind of just negative stuff where it's like you check Twitter and then you just kind of feel depressed and kind of bumped out uh, about the state of the, the community and the people that, that you're seeing on Twitter, the, the, the trends and the things that are coming up. Um, and then the election played into that a lot, the 2016 presidential election. So I think that's the thing people are most talking about lately. But there's been a few missteps. I mean, going back further, you mentioned that I quit Twitter kind of a while back. And if you want to rewind even further, I mean, I was a huge Twitter fan in the early days. You had like a library that people used to interact with Twitter. 
Yeah, I had I had an app for iOS called Tweet Library, and I built a couple Twitter apps. That was the that was a really fun one that I I built to allow to collect tweets and kind of you, know, you find tweets you want to collect them together and save them or publish them. And this was also back before you could go very far back in the Twitter timeline. You couldn't really search, and so having an app that could help you with searching old tweets was really useful. And yeah, I was really early on Twitter, loved it. Uh, I was really passionate about telling people about how great Twitter was and how the developer ecosystem was really special. Like, I mean, John Gruber wrote a post uh, year, years back where he kind of highlighted this, like how the developer ecosystem around Twitter was like this playground and people were building on these Twitter apps. I was, I, my app was very small in the big mm-hmm. scheme of things, but um, there were other big apps that were being built and everyone was experimenting. It was just a really great time and there was a lot of excitement. You know, and in that web 2.0 phase that the, the driving force was making like public restful interfaces for other developers to use. Mm-hmm. So we just saw a giant plethora of that, you know, Netflix, you could search uh, movies uh, in their catalog. Um, you could go to Twitter, you could go to Flickr and get images and, yep. and find images and post images. And the, and as a developer in that space, it was just felt like this playground of different possibilities. And we saw a whole bunch of cool things spin up from that uh, shared ecosystem of development. Yeah, there, there was an ethos in the commercial companies to produce these APIs that could then take on their own life. Yeah. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was a really exciting time to be a developer and to be a user, just kind of experiencing how these platforms would take off. Whether, yeah, like you said, if you were on Flickr and you were posting photos and there's some just great photographers on Flickr or the early days of Twitter and like, you know, when the at reply was kind of invented or like the hashtag was, in, was used for the first time, it was, it was exciting. It was fun. And like I said, I feel like Twitter, in hindsight, they kind of stumbled upon some of this. Mm-hmm. And so they weren't sure where this was going. And it kind of like just took off uh, in a way that no one could really see. And so then they were kind of ill-prepared to fix things that came up. Because like once, you know, everything explodes and it's just kind of running its course and there's millions of tweets flying by and they're just trying to deal with their databases not falling over – you don't have a lot of time to reflect and think about like what the service should be and like what the what the community should be like and what the policy should be like. And at the same time, uh, the reason I got really disillusioned and frustrated with Twitter was Twitter made this transition from like this smallish company where like you could know the one of the developers that worked on the Twitter API and ask questions and they were responsive to this like two thousand person company. And new executives and a lot, some people in leadership uh, during this period, you know, they didn't even really maybe use Twitter as much as, the, you know, the rest of us. And they turned their backs on developers in a big way. There was famously like several points of either shutting down Twitter apps or limiting Twitter apps. Um, and that's when I got really frustrated and, and decided to just leave Twitter and stop posting. From a business model, the reason why they did this, of course, is that they wanted to start selling ads. And to do that, mm-hmm. they kind of needed to lock people into what they controlled to view it. So before it was any developer could pre- to, could present a new interface, new application, use the feed, and you could view it that way. But they but Twitter wanted to basically control those eyeballs. And so they reduced the amount of support developers had on the platform and brought more and more of the users right to them where they could place ads, but also just uh, track the users and engage with them in a more rich way when you're dealing with them directly. So, I mean, that's mm-hmm. part of their motivation for doing that, but also just to focus a bit on the, co- the corporate side of it. It's funny that you talk about it in a growth sense. Once it gets 
depersonalized and you don't think of it as individuals, you think of it as a mass, it then starts doing things that aren't really good for individuals or at least individual developers. So, but what's the, what's the, I mean, so, so that kind of monetizing and kicking out the developers at some level definitely changed the, the methodology of, of how we as developers engage in the service, but it also exploded into popular use and has now become uh, highly cited, especially with our current president using it. But what, I mean, besides, I mean, one of the concerns I'm assuming that you have with the service, and Brian kind of alluded to as well, is that there is a real nasty environment there where pruning doesn't happen. You don't have anybody really controlling the voices. And so when a nasty voice comes up and gets loud and be, is mean and is offensive and potentially uh, speaks violence against someone else, nothing, nobody does anything about it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And one of the kind of theories I have about this, and, you know, as I was building micro.blog, the, the, I started with the, you know, it needs to be open, of course, and embrace the open web and uh, embrace blogs and build on blogs because, you know, blogs have, they've kind of faded away a little bit and they, they didn't like, you didn't see the innovation in blogs that you see mm-hmm. on social networks. Like people use social networks because it's so much easier. You sign up, you have an account, you hit tweet, you, you know, you're done. And I realized that blogging should be that easy too. Like the open web can be in, you know, just as usable and powerful, um, as one of these closed social networks. Um, and then also just much, just much better for the web in general. And so I was approaching it from that point, but I didn't kind of realize until I was like a couple years into development and I hadn't really launched it yet. I didn't realize that something else was missing for micro.blog. And what was missing was a reaction to what you just said. Um, kind of the, uh, the, the ugliness that we see on Twitter sometimes and how um, people that are really causing a lot of trouble and making life miserable for other uh, uh, Twitter users, um, nothing is done to like uh, protect people on the platform. Why not? Why doesn't Twitter do something about that? Well, I've heard it said from a number of different podcasters that Twitter really believes in, in free speech in the sense that they are uh, as open as possibly can be. And yet in mm-hmm. recent years, they have been bowing to pressure to start to moderate in some small ways. And certainly governments have required that, like in Germany and so on. Um, right. So th- there there does seem to be some ethos, although your your point about them not knowing where they were going with this in the beginning is totally taken for granted. That's that's true. But uh, there, there is some ethos there that they want to make a totally open place. I'm all in favor of free speech and the open web, but... Twitter is just, it's a website. I mean, it's its not the whole internet. And so I don't think that, I, I understand where they're coming from. And I, I do think that's like a principle that the founders had in terms of letting anyone express themselves, which that's, I mean, that's a good goal. You, we do want to make publishing easier for people. We do want to make it easier for anyone who has something to say. Um, that's, a, that's a powerful, uh, that's a powerful thing to have and, and have a platform that enables people to express themselves. I, I think that is where they're coming from. But the problem is like, we have that on the open web already. Not all networks need to have all that, all those same principles. And what, where, it, where, where it plays in Twitter's inability to kind of control the platform is because tweets are, you know, are kind of special. It's like a closed platform. It's twitter.com. That's where your tweets are. If you ban someone from Twitter or you block their account or, or stop their tweets or something like that, they have nowhere else to go. Like that's – their tweets are there. They can't move them. They can't just like switch their domain name somewhere else like the way the web normally works. And because of they can't leave Twitter, 
I think Twitter is extremely hesitant to ever ban anyone, ever stop any abuse that's happening. I, I feel like Twitter wants to. They have got they've got teams. That's their job to like mm-hmm. try to stay on top of this. I feel like they want to make the platform better and a safer, more healthy environment for the community. But they are also kind of powerless because they know that if they ban people randomly left and right, like they have no place to go. Whereas with well, the open web, if I have some web, someone has some website, something, something.com, um, and they're, they're on some hosting provider and they get shut off or something, they can just move their domain somewhere yeah, else. Right. And I think this is like, this is a key thing about the way micro.blog approaches the, the world. Yeah. Let's talk about how, why that's the case on Twitter. So what you're saying is that because it's such a centralized, a federated system where one control, um, you're either in that system or you're not. And so we we you know this have this when we don't really deeply think about free speech and you're an American you start thinking well everyone should have the ability to, to speak you should be able to go down to the local square step on a milk crate and talk about what you want to talk about and that does seem like I don't think anyone kind of debates that idea of public speech in that form and then you you look at something like Twitter and you're like well it's not a governmental entity and therefore we don't have to supply free speech to the people that are using it because that's just one of multiple private spaces, just like you can't go into Woolworth's department store and start talking randomly. They can kick you out, right? So there's, yeah. there's definitely this idea that the different the, – what our society wants in general and what corporations want are different. And what you're saying is the problem with this is that because it's such a universal space, it's almost like a – it almost has the, the representation of public space in general because it's so ubiquitous in this form of communication. Right, and instead, of like the instead of the example of the department store, I would say something like like the New York Times or your local newspaper, or like the, the newspapers all over the country. We can there's a separate debate whether how those companies have done, but like uh, anyone should be able to publish what they want. But I can't necessarily demand that whatever I write an essay on gets in the New York Times, right? Right. Like that's that's New York Times is a company; they can publish what they want, and and Twitter's the same way. Twitter isn't the whole internet; they are, you know a company and a website and a single domain name. And like, it's not their responsibility to give everybody a platform. But at the Um, same time, because of their success, the reason why they're so successful is not really the list of services they offer. It's that everybody's on it. And for mm -hmm. that to, for them to hold and maintain that core important aspect of what they are, they have to make sure that everybody can be on it. And that's what you're saying is a problematic, problematic for them, that dichotomy. Yeah. And I would even, I would even kind of take it one step further and say, not everyone should be on one platform. Like the the issue we have with Twitter and Facebook is that they are so big that these these companies have enormous power. It's staggering. I don't even I can't even like describe or like understand the scope of their power. They're, they're just they're so big. They have an enormous influence, and we see that with Facebook with you know fake news. The the previous definition of fake news <laughs> right after the election, um, and and Facebook controlling like what you see in. Um, the, in the newsfeed and the, the influence that has. Um, and it's just, you don't want, or I don't want personally, one company or even two companies to have that much control over the, over the web um, and just the internet in general, because you don't, you, for the internet to be, and the open web to be successful, you need to have things spread out more. You don't need, you don't want to have everything concentrated in one company because it, it just puts so much power and also so much pressure on them um, to make all the right decisions. And it's impossible. Like the, there's so much going on with Twitter. It's impossible. Even if the leadership was just fantastic, it's impossible for them to make all the right decisions on their platform. But that's a responsibility they have if they want to be the whole internet. 
if they want if they want Twitter to be the place that everybody is. So a little over a year ago, you started the um, the Kickstarter campaign, and uh, in in your Kickstarter campaign, you were uh, putting forth that you were going to uh, write a book talking about uh, open web technologies and how uh, you were using it and how others could use it to create a a new kind of social network that is not built around um, the engagement uh, that Twitter is in order to boost their stock price and, and increase their uh, their um, uh, active members. Um, so, tell us about Micro.blog and and how it um, is different than these other services out there. Sure. So I I did do that Kickstarter just a little over a year ago. I haven't finished the book yet. I'm still working on the book. But one of the ideas with the Kickstarter was like, I wasn't just going to launch a new platform. I was going to write a book and collect a lot of um, my thoughts about this and also tutorials and tips and things for setting up a new blog or connecting it with um, some of the standards that are happening in the indie web right now. And, um, and so it was more than just a platform. It was like kind of a way to think about things, um, for people that wanted to either get back into blogging or they wanted to kind of learn from what has worked really well with social networks, including the usability aspect of social networks and how easy it is to, to get online and tweet something and bring that back to blogs. So it's kind of like two approaches and Still working on the book part, mm-hmm. um, but Microdoblog has launched, and I invited all the Kickstarter people first, and then we've been slowly rolling it out to everyone else. But at, at its core, it's pretty simple. It's it's similar to a social network like Twitter in terms of the user interface, but it also is connected to kind of two things. And, and one is it it has a full like blogging platform built into it, so like. We want it to be like the easiest way to start a blog and to start a microblog in particular, which is a blog just of short posts. And so, and in the, that in that way, you could say it's like um, a Squarespace service or a WordPress service. Um, yeah, yeah, and that the, there's a hosting aspect that's very similar to Squarespace or WordPress, probably closest to WordPress because WordPress definitely shares a lot of the ideals and uh, of the open web and. And Squarespace, to some extent, you know, giving people their own domain name is a key aspect of that that a lot of these blogging platforms have. Okay, so it had two things, blogging and what's the second? Oh, so the second is just connecting different blogging platforms together. So, like, you don't have to pay micro.blog for us to host a blog for you and, you know, host your domain name and provide themes and all that kind of thing. We'll do all that and you can use our platform, but you don't have to, you can bring an existing blog or you can set up a new WordPress site and connect it. And then all these, so micro.blog, like the timeline in micro.blog, which is kind of similar to the Twitter timeline, it feeds from all these different blogging platforms. And so that aspect allows, it's really powerful. Like I don't think there's been a service quite like this before because it, it's not, Lock, you're not locked into one like when a lot of these social networks that have come up you know like app.net is a great example it's was really popular for a while i actually loved it i thought the founders were really onto something and of course it faded away and it's it's shut down now but um even a lot of those networks that that came and seemed to have like all the right ideas they at the end of the day they were still pretty closed and centralized and they they you couldn't connect like a wordpress or like another blogging platform and you couldn't take your posts and move them some somewhere else without like anything breaking and so the idea with microdoblog is to take it to that next step where 
the content is distributed on different blogging platforms. And micro.blog is just kind of this glue that like sticks everything together. It gives you a timeline, gives you an iOS app, a Mac app, makes it more usable uh, on top of infrastructure. So I was a, I, I bought into app.net and tried that until it kind of faded away. And uh, just today, because you were coming on, I was actually Brian and I were also both actual backers of your of your Kickstarter for Microdub. Awesome, thank you. And um, so today, I actually went up and edited my homepage and pulled off app.net's link and put on my, my Microdub.blog link and was playing with the interface. and And you're right; it does have this wonderful feed quality of kind of being like an RSS reader of things you or a JSON feed reader of uh, other people you want to follow. Um, However, I, I got disenchanted with the service when after I signed up and stuff because what occurred to me was that – so let's I, – I want to host my own content, right? And it felt like when I did that, when I had your service pointing to one of my RSS feeds of my content, the comments and such that would be associated wouldn't actually be connected back to my blog. So like the commenting system feels like it's kind of still trapped in your silo. Do you have a response to that? Sure. So to, that's that's true to an extent. And like when we launched, we knew that replies were not where they really needed to be. So like to make replying on the service like just easy and requires no configuration, by default, the replies are stored on micro.blog. And then so the, you know, the argument against that, of course, is exactly like you said. Well, now that's just another like silo where all your replies are kept and like it's not portable. And even though we have like you know, completely open API and feeds and all this ways, this way to get uh, content out. That's still not where we need to be in terms of really distributed replies and replies uh, across sites. So we're taking steps in the right direction though, I think. uh, And one of the, the ways that I think is, is going to enable some of this stuff to improve and something that micro.blog supports right now is uh, some standards out of the indie web camp community. Mm -hmm. And um, so like web mention is, is one of these standards. It's now a W3C recommendation. And it basically, like if you remember the old like track back and ping back kind of mm-hmm. protocols from the old blogging days, like it's kind of like a r- new version of that where I can reply, I can, I can post to my site and then you can uh, post to your site a reply to my site. And it's just a little simple protocol for like communicating back and forth. And so micro.bugs does support that. So like, let's say someone has a WordPress site and they make a post and I see it in micro.blog, and I hit reply in micro.blog. We store the reply in micro.blog, but they also send a copy to that other site. And so then that other WordPress site can like include my reply as a comment, for example. So if I integrate with, if I integrate the system better, I can actually build in the thing I'm talking about. Yeah, so it's, it's not where I think we will be eventually, but it's, it's a step in the right direction is the way I think about it. So by, by default, if you reply to someone, you don't get that. But there are a lot of people that have an existing WordPress site that have enabled this. You basically install a couple of WordPress plugins, tweak things a little bit, right? And then um, and you get these kind of cross-site replies mm-hmm. so that I can be blogging on my site and replying on my site. And it basically pings your site. And so uh, it's it's not where I think we will be a year from now or two years from now. But it's like a path forward is the way I think about it. So um, I mean, that, that's really good feedback. And I think your impression of micro.blog, especially in the early days, uh, that's that's a good criticism and something that we just need to keep working on. Also, it's improved. I mean, I can't – it's improved so much in the last six months. It's like yeah. it's kind of uh, – I when I look back on where we were when we launched Kickstarter backers, it's kind of embarrassing, which I think <laughs> is 
correct. Like that's normal. That's that's always how it is when you look back on software that you released, you know, a couple of years ago. In this case, just six months, but it always should be a little bit embarrassing because it reflects that you've improved greatly since that. Yeah, first and version. I think that's that's been your voice in the entire campaign. You're explaining that you know you're you're working on it, and you know you appreciate the earlier adopters, and of course the earlier early adopters like Brian and myself and other people. We are doing this because we see this giant problem of Facebook and Twitter being these monopolies of social communication interaction. And I've, I always grab at these things that look like they might have a solution. And I just, I want yours to work. And I, I'm, a few things that I'm concerned about has to do with, like, when, when, prior to Facebook existing, and, or in MySpace, whatever, and trying to get my family to see photos of my kids, Right, So I put mm-hmm. my photos on the website and I do a, a long URL or maybe I put a password on there, but it's a little challenging because I've got to write something to do that. And I'm trying to do this so that I can share with them. Of course, I want them to be able to comment on those photos. So you know, slowly over time, I'm building a system that kind of works and kind of doesn't. I don't have authentication. And mm-hmm. then you know, a few years later, Facebook emerges and it's really, really easy for yeah. anybody in my life to participate. And everybody all of a sudden does. And the reason they all did is because it's easy. The, Facebook didn't do anything special. They just made it centralized and easy. And I yep. feel like your service still isn't at that level. And part of that is the actual, the price point to, as a stumbling block for people. So I'm, I'm curious, are you, do you feel like you are ready for my mother and my uncle? Or do you feel like you're still moving to that direction? It's getting close. Depends on <laughs> depends on your uncle, or I mean, it's 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 not as easy as it could be. I do think it is a big step forward in ease of use for blogging and for some of this indie web stuff. Yeah, you know, the the indie indie web camp has this way of thinking about these um, like generations of users, where it's like four generations, and you start with like super technical like programmers, and then you go to like pretty technical developers or writers and then you go to like journalists and then eventually you go to like the mainstream everybody's mom and 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 family members and we're on that path and some things i think we're there and some things not some things are still daunting um, too technical you know i i i've been writing a lot of documentation lately and i'm trying to get in the habit of writing more and more because there's a lot of things that just aren't, aren't well documented and people kind of have to guess at and as I do that, of course, like I'm a programmer and I need to be careful as I write that. They're like, eventually this needs to appeal to everybody. I can't like just drop some, you know, HTML even like uh, like the acronyms and things like that. Eventually it's, it can't be just uh, kind of laced with all this technical jargon. It needs to be more approachable. So I, I think we're on the right track. I think we can get there. But no, it's still not as easy um, to use as Facebook. And I mean, yeah, like the photos example is a great example of something that is a little bit easier when it's centralized and everybody has the same user account. And when you distribute things and like someone's using WordPress and someone using micro.blog hosting and someone else is using Jekyll with some weird GitHub hook that they've got figured out, like it's more complicated and it's going to take kind of just going through this and iterating and improving to get to the point where it's easy enough for everybody. I think we'll get there. I really do think that blogging and this kind of cross-site replies and this this kind of way of thinking about things on the open web, I think it can be as easy as everything else. Um, yeah. But, you know, I mean, Facebook has, <laughs> Twitter have hundreds of, you know, developers and uh, thousands, designers. Tens of thousands, and, yeah. you know, 
We, we, yeah, right. We, we got, we still have some work to do, but I think, I think we can get there. I don't, I don't think there's anything inherent in how the open web works that will prevent us from making it usable as the tools improve. So I, I just want to acknowledge something before we, we sound like we're muddling uh, two things with our, with our listeners. Of course, Facebook allows you to share it only with your friends, whereas what we're talking about here is more of a, a Twitter analogy right now where uh, it's published on the web where anybody can view it. So th- mm-hmm. there's, there's not that wall with it where you can control who's, who's looking at it. Of course, Lyle has always treated everything on the web, whether it's Facebook or not, as p- totally public. So. Um, it's funny that you come from there. Eventually it will be public. Eventually it will be. In, in, the services keeping it private forever. That's for sure. Yeah. Once it's out there, it's out there. Um, that's a great point. And definitely like micro.blog, everything is public. And we get asked sometimes, you know, how can I make a blog that's private? And the answer is no, we're not, that's not <laughs> something we're interested in right now. Like in an early version of micro.blog, I had this idea that the way that we would, um, make a business out of it is that the paid plans would all be about like private blogs and like, uh, company blogs and like, uh, you know, being able to communicate privately between mm-hmm. teams and then Slack took off and I just, I kind of scrapped that part of part of the business. And I'm pretty happy with the public approach. Like other people can solve the, the, the part that will match kind of the Facebook's, uh, privacy, uh, groups and things like that. But micro.blog, you have a blog and it's on the internet and that's just the way it works. So it actually took me quite a while to wrap my head around about what you're doing and, and, and what micro.blog is. So I want to, want to help our listeners out here because there's something I, I think that's pretty special about the way you've set this up. So if we start talking about Twitter, we're talking about when you post to Twitter, that's on Twitter servers. When somebody replies to your post on, on Twitter, that's on Twitter servers. It, as you said, if, if you're kicked off of Twitter, those go away. You don't have a way to pull them out. Um, even though it's all public, if they're deleted, they're, they're, they're not on their um, API anymore. So what you've done is you've divorced the publishing side of it, where it gets um, published, where it gets put on the web, and the social side of it, where you, the control over the timeline and who's allowed to participate and, and how the, the people are connected. Those are, those are now two different things if you choose to host your own blog. If you, if you sign up with micro.blog directly, then, then you're hosting everything totally on your servers as well. But you allow people to, to uh, walk away with, uh, with their data and their posts by just doing an export. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you've done, now that the social part of it is just uh, your service and the publishing is outside of your service, is you've now made a place where you can control the rules. You can control the design uh, much more. And if somebody just doesn't like it, they could choose to make their own someday or um, and still draw from the same posts that are published. Uh, or uh, you can choose to be much more stringent with your community rules. And uh, you've actually done something that I don't know that Twitter's ever done, is, is hired a community manager. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a big goal early on is to – I wanted to stay ahead of this problem because I think any service – that's like this. If it gets too big, you're going to have issues with and like, not everybody's going to be a perfect citizen on your platform. And I'm super thankful that like everyone has been great on micro.blog. Definitely the Kickstarter people who are invested, but all the new folks too have really uh, just, they've really embraced it. And, you know, there's thoughtful discussions. And so we don't have to worry yet too much, but at some point we, we will have to think about this. And so I, I really wanted on day one to think about it and to build features um, that 
are having this in mind, like if it ever gets bigger. And a, a big part of that was making sure that there was someone in charge of that, someone thinking about this. And so, yeah, when, halfway through the Kickstarter, I I had this this stretch goal of, you know, like hire a community manager, make sure that the next person I hire is not just another programmer, although that would be great, but someone who can bring a different skill set to the platform, someone who can stay on top of community issues, someone who can just kind of be thinking about the big picture like this. And so uh, that's, I think that's the, the, the right way to approach it. Because like I said, with Twitter, it's like things can get out of control. And then before you know it, you made some decisions two years ago that you kind of regret but can't undo. Uh, so if you you can't predict everything, but I think we can be really thoughtful about the features we add and the way uh, people interact with the platform so that we can just kind of stay on top of this and have an answer for people. I'm Lyle Troxell. This is Geek Speak in the air. And with me is Brian Young. And we have Manton Reese. And Manton is the founder of Micro.blog, a online blogging service that embraces the open web. Manton, I'm going to throw a couple ideas at you that, that still concern me. And that is that most of the time, the thing I don't like about Facebook and Twitter, the part that uh, disturbs me, as you said, is this kind of ubiquity, this largeness of it. But to me, it's also about the centralization. And, it, you know, when I first saw the web, I was amazed with this idea of any site could link to any other site. And that core idea has just stayed with me as a developer for years, as a, as a human being for years, that no one paid place on the web is any different than any other place on the web. It's all just there. And if you find it effectively, you can find anything. It's just really a magic quality to it, except for when you start getting to these very large uh, centralized systems, which are actually taking advantage of people's time. Like everybody that posts on Facebook actually adds to the profit model of Facebook, but also the centralized aspect of it. So to me, the centralization of it is one of the core negatives. Micro.plog is centralized. Why is that not a negative? Uh, I think it. I think it is a negative uh, viewed that way. Uh, I I I feel like it's get kind of getting back to when we were talking about like cross site replies and how that works and how that's evolving. Eventually, things will be even more distributed and less centralized as different parts of the platform can be kind of opened up and, and spread out. The The approach from the start was we can't solve all problems. A lot of people have come into this kind of space and they've tried to kind of engineer their way into a perfect solution that solves everything. And I just think it's difficult. We've seen a lot of services that come and go. They've tried to solve all the, the, the problems and they've been completely distributed and it hasn't worked out. And so we said, you know, we're not going to solve every problem in terms of the the open web and like a distributed platform. We're going to try to solve a few things and some things will on day one still be kind of centralized. So micro.blog as a service is centralized. The content is not centralized at all. Like the content is out on the web at your own domain name. And I think that's the most important thing. Like if I was, if, if I was going to pick like three features uh, of a, a Twitter-like open web decentralized kind of network like having your own domain name because that's how you really own your content that's the only way you can really own it is if you have your own domain name because you can move it um that's that's how i kind of define ownership on the web that's the most important thing so let's solve that let's try to fix that make it easier um and then slowly we'll improve the rest but you're right there's some parts that are centralized 
there are some parts you could say are like a silo in the kind of negative uh, way to think about it. And it comes with good and bad. Like the yeah. the bad is things should be even more distributed. The The good is that we can also do some things in the community that are kind of interesting and thoughtful because we do kind of control that little part of it. Um, but that's, I think, I think that's a fair criticism and, but it's complicated, right? It's like, there's, there's uh you, you can only do so much at once is the way I was approaching it. And like getting that content distributed is number one, getting people to just encourage, actually literally just encouraging people to blog more. That's like how we judge success. Like if we can just get people to write on their own website at their own domain name, that is a huge, huge step forward for the open web because most people, if they want to write something, they just get on Twitter or Facebook and they type it in and hit tweet and they're done. And if we can start to change those kind of habits so that you can have ownership of your content, that's the first place to address. A lot of people can point to that the greatest ills of Facebook and Twitter come back to the fact that that they have to monetize their service and they have to create a business. And mm-hmm. boy, did they, especially Facebook, create a, a, a business. Um, yeah. there's, a, <laughs> there's a post just recently um, responding to Mark Zuckerberg's uh, um, claim that boy, he wants to focus the year, this year on fixing Facebook. And um, the, the poster makes the very clear point that you can't fix Facebook because Facebook now has a life of its own in that they make so much money. Any change to their business model that takes away the dominance of the ad platform for producing that, that, that revenue is going to um, make the uh, shareholders want to run away. Um, and so I want to ask you, you're, you're obviously a, a little startup here and you're trying to figure out how to not only make a open web technology um, a service, but you're also trying to figure out how to, to make some money with this so that you can keep doing it in the future. How do you see that going? Uh, do you see a path to uh, where you can sustain yourself? I do see a path. It is kind of a slow growth path. It's not like overnight success. It's going to take a little while to get there. But uh, every month, our revenue is a little more, and it's mostly from the blogging, blog hosting, which I think is like a really it's like a business people can understand. Like they pay $5 a month and we host their blog and their domain name for them. Like simple. We're not like breaking new ground really with that part of the service. And it's, it's like a proven business model, like, uh, WP engine, some of these other companies, I mean, they just announced like staggering amounts of millions of dollars in revenue. We don't need to get that big, but I feel like we can carve out a little slice and have a good business, uh, based on that. Um, but yeah, you're, I mean, you're totally right. Facebook makes an enormous amount of money. It's, it's kind of incredible. And one of the ways they, they do it, it it has effects. It has effects on the platform, uh, ads being the focus, of course. I mean, I personally don't like ads. I feel like they're really user hostile. Um, but that's core to Facebook's platform. Also the self-serve ads kind of thing. This is something Ben Thompson has written about a little bit in terms of like when, you know, super (laughs) aggregators. Russia buying ads and political ads and things like that. Yeah, exactly. Aggregators, but just like the effects that'll have where uh, anyone can buy an ad and it's out of control. It's out of Facebook's control. Like they can't, if someone buys some political ad that maybe should be looked at or maybe needs to make sure it, you know, applies to whatever um, campaign finance rules and all all this kind of thing. Facebook doesn't know because it's all self-serve. They're just this big aggregator that, um, that prints money. And if you wanted to try to change Facebook to be able to do that, you'd have to have like 20,000 people reviewing ads every day. That's a lot of employees that have to know a lot about 
what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. It's infeasible, effectively. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that twi- I think Facebook and Twitter both have really. I think we'd all be surprised if we knew how many people they had reviewing content and trying to stay on top of this. Like, I feel like there's a lot of people these companies that do care a lot and are trying to do the right thing, I totally but their agree. platforms are so big. It's just a daunting task, right? Uh, it's just it's very very difficult. And I think recently Facebook announced they were hiring a bunch more kind of curators to try to stay on top of this, and but. It's difficult. Yeah, just I, I just can't see it as being a human possibility. I mean, you basically the way that you make money is you make it extremely as easy for everybody to make an ad. I mean, just my little podcast, I've made ads for Facebook, right? So, yep. and it's so easy to do that. And if you try to put a, a person, a human being, in there to try to figure things out, the cost just becomes not viable. So basically, yeah. the only way it can work for someone like me is if it's automated. And you can't really automate a system and also have good human intelligence involved, unfortunately. Yeah, I know. I think you're exactly right. And so like the business model behind some of these platforms, like it has like negative consequences. You know, the ads just being user hostile, which, you know, we're used to, you know, we watch TV and there's ads all the time and we have to, we have to sit through. And the, the other aspect is just like the influence that people can have in the ads. And it's profitable because like you said, Facebook just kind of, to some extent, has to let things go. Yeah. And so with Micro.blog, our business is like completely different, right? We'll never have ads. It's you pay for a service, you get the service. We can, I mean, I can literally review every single person that signs up right now for a paid service. It's not like, I mean, it's all automated and self-serve and you put your credit card in, but it's not at the scale of uh, Facebook where I need some smart algorithm to figure yeah. out if uh, an ad should be shown. So, Manton, that's actually one of the problems I have with it is that it feels like, especially talking with you, you're pretty comfortable with it being a good service for the people that participate and not necessarily having it this giant thing. But I don't see a world getting better unless there's a real competition against Facebook. And mm-hmm. I don't, and I see the, the conglomeration of the data in a very simple-to-use service as key to that. And I do agree that at some level, some of the things you have in place kind of would allow for that possibility if there was a massive growth in the space. And how do you, I mean, it feels to me like we need 10,000 more people running a small business like yours, making sure you use open web communication protocols to interconnect and having like a very similar methodology in the way they work. Is that how you see this helping to alleviate the Facebook and, and Twitter silos? Or is that just not something you feel like is your responsibility? Uh, not necessarily, maybe not 10,000 different people do it because that's maybe not that many but more people doing kind of what i'm trying to do but also i i mean let me be clear i want micro.blog to be much much bigger than it is you know it's it's really on the very very early stages of where i want it to be if it just sits at where it is right now it will not be a success like it needs to get bigger it needs to get much bigger but it doesn't need to get as big as facebook if it gets as big as facebook you have a whole nother serious problems problems. yeah okay i've got Um, a question for you then i've got an idea for you for a business model one of the reasons why it's problematic for me to go ahead and sign up with your service directly um is that i already host my my boxes right i'm a developer i've got lots of sites that i'm running and i have one of those large tier things you know i don't know 150 bucks a, a year to give me a lot of web space and I'm running my, you know, a whole bunch of WordPress blogs and stuff like that for family members and things. So for me to add on a little bit more to that bill to have myself on a different place doesn't have a lot of personal benefit. Um, but at the same time, I'd love to get those people in my life on a service like yours rather than me hosting it 
myself. But it also doesn't provide the same kind of support. Like my mother is a painter, and so she has to have her photographs up showing her work that way, right? And I could migrate her to your kind of style at some possibly, but it doesn't really allow me to help the non-technical people in my life, which I do support and help, um, join your service. It was easy for me to tell my mom to sign up for Facebook. Mm-hmm. It's not easy for me to say, hey, you should spend two bucks a month on this blogging site. It's, it's just a, an impediment. But at the same mm-hmm. time, I could imagine myself, I'm already paying a bit of money for these other people. I could imagine myself kind of creating a community of invitees where I say, here's this new space I've made for you that allows us to interact and engage and kind of do that with my direct family members and such. You want a family plan? Kind of that, yeah. Mm, yeah, I like this. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it in that way, like almost like kind of sponsored accounts or like, you know, I'll, I'll set things up so you don't have to worry. Because you're right, like not being free is a huge friction there. Like if something is free, people use it. And you see this in the app store uh, with iOS apps like all the time. Like the apps that are free versus 99 cents, it's like orders of magnitude more yes. downloads, right? It's like free is really easy. Even though 99 cents to most people with an $800 iPhone is not an issue. It's still this friction that people just can't get over 99 cents. It has to be free. You're totally right. Um, Microdot so it has, we kind of glossed over it, but it has, you can join for free and you can bring your own blog like WordPress or something like that. Or you can just join for free and just kind of like reply to people and kind of poke around the timeline and use the apps, but not really post to your own site, which of course mm-hmm. is missing almost everything. Like you, you should have your own domain name and your own website. So uh, it's, I feel like it's incomplete, but it is, it is a free way to kind of be involved and check it out. Um, and then you, if you bring your own like WordPress blog or something like that, I just use WordPress cause it's so popular, but mm-hmm. it could be any blog. You can pay $2 a month and get some extra features like uh, automatic cross posting to Twitter and Facebook. Um, and we tried to build a pretty kind of complete approach to how cross posting works. So it kind of does the right things for you. And then the other thing is $5 a month. You will host your blog for you and kind of take care of everything. And those are the plans right now. Things may change, but so there is that kind of free tier, but it's incomplete. It's not, you can't give the free tier to someone who doesn't want to set up their own website and expect they can just like upload a photo and share it and, and, and do all that. There is a roadblock and it's unfortunate, but at the same time, it does need to be a business. It does need yeah. to have revenue coming in. I have no, you know, there's really only two choices with a, with a company that's based on the web. It's like you charge for something and have a fair price and people pay you and they get something in return or you have ads and grow big. And I have no interest in doing ads uh, and the scale that we'd have to be at to even do ads, it, we're very far from. So we have to charge for something. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about some of the uh, design decisions, because if some of our listeners are, who might be using Twitter come on to uh, micro.blog, they'll, they'll notice that there's some significant differences uh, in, in what features you've built already and what you plan to do. And uh, I think some of those decisions are really interesting socially as well as technologically. So um, you've got some basic things like you can uh, take a look at a conversation or uh, in Twitter parlance, a thread. Um, and you can see the followers of the different people that are um, posting on micro.blog. But there's a lot of other numbers that aren't available to to look for and um, other features that aren't there. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about your design decision, decisions? Sure. We, we've left a lot out at the beginning because, like I said earlier, it's like you don't want to 
add things that might be wrong and you can't predict the future, but like if you add things, you know, aren't quite right, you can't take them away. Like people are used to them. Um, so we try to launch, uh, this as simple as possible. And we left a couple things out on purpose that I think if most people were like saying, I'm going to clone Twitter and it's going to be open and magical, like they would just copy. And I wanted to be, I wanted to think through things like everything that's in microtoblog has to justify like why it's there. So the biggest thing people notice is no follower accounts. Um, you know, you go onto Twitter, you see a user accounts, like they have, you know, 200 followers and like 5,000 tweets and they're following 50 people and, you know, or whatever. And, and how many I likes a want, post gets and exactly. Yeah, like uh, I didn't want that at first because it's like um, it's easy to like stumble upon someone, someone's account, and then like you know you don't want to judge people, but you kind of do anyway. It's like okay, they only have ten followers versus ten thousand. Like maybe they're not saying anything interesting. I didn't want that kind of impression, especially because the service is brand new. Hardly anyone has any followers. Like it just it just started, right? So uh, no one has ten thousand followers, and so. Uh, I want to just like wipe that away. It's not a popularity contest. It doesn't matter how many followers you have. Let the content speak for itself. If someone's posting amazing photos or saying something that's interesting, like follow them. That's that's great. And so there's some things like that where we just wanted to strip away the kind of judgment um, and let the content speak for itself. And also, I think it just makes things cleaner and simpler and, and more elegant in a way. So um, you talked about distributed content, making sure that, you know, like one of the things you like the idea of is people bringing their own blogs so that they own their own content and such of that nature. Do you use a different domain name and use a different blogging system or do you use micro.blog? I use a different domain name. And actually my blog, my main blog, manton.org, I've been blogging there for about 15 years. That is WordPress at the moment. And actually one of the challenges is I would love to move it to micro.blog, but I haven't quite figured out how to get that 15 years of like baggage and files and all the stuff mm -hmm. that's kind of accumulated, like moved over. Um, uh, we do have a WordPress import and it's smart about like preserving all your WordPress URLs from your old domain name. So it can redirect all those and you can map your domain name. Everything just works. So we've done some work on that. Um, still have some work to do, but it's a start. Um, but yeah, personally, I currently still use WordPress at my own domain name. And uh, yeah, there's a mix of people on micro.blog. Some people use WordPress. Some people use like Jekyll and some other um, mm -hmm. uh, platforms. And then a bunch of people, of course, use micro.blog hosting um, and have their domain name mapped. And we give everyone free SSL certificate, you know, try to have features that people want. And that'll, that'll continue to improve. But it's, it's a real mix right now. And can you have micro.blog actually ho uh, host a domain name? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Domain. Yeah, okay. you can have, uh, you can, how do you a lot of people point like a subdomain. So like, yeah. if they already have like, you know, myname.com, they'll, maybe they'll set up like micro.myname.com or something, yeah. but you can actually have a full root domain pointed at micro.blog. So you can go into micro.blog and um, say like, my domain is, you know, ma yeah, like manson.org is do... a great example. You can have that hosted on micro.blog directly. And how do you do SSL certs for that in that situation? Uh, we use uh, Let's Encrypt yeah, and cool. we just generate free uh, certs for everybody. It's, isn't uh, that magic? I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a huge free SSL certificates is a huge <laughs> breakthrough. I I'm, I'm so happy and we don't have everything completely automated, so like all the domain name stuff is completely automated, so you can sign up, create a a blog on micro.blog, map your personal domain to it. Um, you do have to send a quick email if you want SSL enabled on your custom domain. We give everyone SSL by default except for the custom domain because we have to 
not quite automated. We have to flip a switch <laughs> behind the yeah. scenes. But I like being able to offer that for free and not even have to worry about it. And it's just much simpler. And that's how it should be. You should have SSL on your site. You don't have to pay extra. We don't have to pay extra. Everybody's happy. So um, one of the things that um, I don't like about Twitter and Facebook is is how much they they are obviously manipulating in order to to increase engagement and things like that. And and those engagement numbers are all about more eyeballs to advertising. You've actually got a little um, uh, gaming going on on Micro.blog as well. But um, like you were talking about earlier, your biggest goal seems to be to get people to post more on their own site or on their um, own domain name. So you added stickers to the uh, service so that as you do more things, you get more of these uh, little sticker rewards. Yeah, this was really fun. We want to do more of this, but essentially we have, uh, we call them pins, but yeah, they're these little little stickers or badges or rewards or whatever you want to call them that you get if you do something. So like when you join the service, you get one like right away. Thanks for joining. But like the first time you post like five posts to your blog, you get your little pin. Or if you post every day for 30 days, which is actually more difficult than it seems. Like that's actually really to stick with something every single day for 30 days. Sounds easy, but actually it takes some (laughs) some conscious thought when you're posting to your blog. Or if you upload you know, photos and we have these little themes and you earn these little pins and yeah, just to encourage like what I think is great blogging behavior. And actually someone from the community, um, Doug Lane had started this maybe a month ago, uh, like a photo challenge saying, Oh, everybody posts a new photo every day for seven days and I'll give you a theme every day. So, um, I like this. yeah, it's like, I can't even remember the themes now, but they were pretty abstract, but like you could, you could pick something like you could be out for a walk or you could be in your house and you could, you could take a photo of something that matched the the theme and a bunch of people did that. So we created a pin for that. So if you did that seven days, you, you unlocked a pin and basically micro.blog just when it's, when it's pulling in your feeds and it's checking your site and all that kind of stuff, it just has these little rules where it says like, Oh, you posted a photo every day for a certain number of days. We'll give you the pin. We'll unlock it. And it's just fun. It doesn't mean anything, but it's encourages people to, blog more, post more. And you know, we, we have things like custom domain. We've talked a lot about that already. And if you enable a custom domain, we give you a little pin, like good job. Like <laughs> you know, the, yeah. good to have a custom domain on your site. Yeah, It was funny to me because I, I had a bad reaction to this at first because I don't like being gamed. But at the same time, once I finally understood what the uh, motivation was, I was like, oh, you mean that's actually a, a good motivation. I can, I can get behind that. Yeah. It's, it's not supposed to be, uh, even gaming is almost a stretch for I think what we're we're trying to do. Like I think about it just like encouraging people to do certain things and to and to stay active and and we haven't done. I think there's maybe I don't know. There's maybe like ten pins that we've come up with. I'd love to have you know double that. And we've we've also done some secret ones just for fun. So like uh, around Halloween, uh, there's not a pin. It's not in the list that you can see. Like most of these are like it's grayed out and says when you when you post ten times you get this pin. In Halloween, if you just happen to say Happy Halloween or something about pumpkins or something like that, we unlock this special little uh, Halloween pin for you. So we've done a few like that just for fun. And and it just keeps the service fun and keeps people kind of, you know, something to do, something (laughs) something to earn. Well, um, I'm going to ask you one last thing about what do you, what do you, what would you like to see in this space? What would you, um, what would, what's your win situation? So that's a great question. I think with micro.blog, I think we're on the right track. I think 
we've we've done a lot of things that have worked and there's just way more still to do basically like everything that we've done so far could be better and there's other things that we haven't kind of reached out and done yet that we can still do so like the last year basically you know the kickstarter was a year ago the service launched several months after that it's basically been less than a year really and i feel like this year is going to be very big um there's a lot we can do um and I hope that a lot of that will attract new people and grow the community and the, and the platform. In terms of winning, I don't know if we'll ever really get there. But like I said kind of before, if people are thinking about having their own website and it's encouraging people to blog more, which we can see it is. Like I, I hear from people all the time that like had stopped blogging and kind of just abandoned it and just hadn't really done much with it. And then they've dusted it off, started posting photos to their own site, that kind of thing. Uh, that part is working. And so I think we just need to do more of that. And there's no like end game where like now we've won and everything's perfect. But like if we continue to do more of that, that's a great way, I think, um, for, for us to see whether it's having impact and whether people are just kind of embracing the idea of indie microblogging and, and blogging on your own site again. Geekspeak is a registered service mark of David Lawrence's user permission and Geekspeak is Creative Commons Attribution 3.0. Use our stuff any way you'd like. Just let them know the geeks made it. I'm Lyle Troxel. The title for today's show by Greg Mercury up in Canada is Micro.blog Gig on Social Media with Manton Reese. Um, in the air with me has been Brian Young. Brian, thanks for joining us. Oh, yeah, it's great to be here. And, of course, our guest, Manton Reese, the founder and creator of Micro.blog, a blogging site that supports the open web. Thank you very much, Manton, for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. It's been fun. Now, we normally do a post-show, so we have a little bit of post-show time. You can get more geeky or talk about something else. Was there anything in, the, in this discussion that was, you wanted to touch back on? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, we covered a lot, actually. Yeah, we did. Um, Except for we didn't get in, into the technology as much as I was hoping to. We didn't get into the technology. There's too much true. here. It's, it's a big topic. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. And there's a lot to kind of – I mean, that's one of the challenges that we have is like how do you talk – I mean, we just talked for an hour and I'm not even sure I conveyed what we're trying to do. Like, I know. It's hard, hour. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, tell me about – well, that's what your book's for, right? But tell me mm-hmm. about web mention. I mean, it's now – you said it's now W3C uh, uh, accepted spec. How yeah. does it work? Yeah, so there's a couple specs now that have been – they started in the Indie Web Camp community, and they've made their way to the W3C as like official recommendations, I think, in some cases. Um, the, the two big ones are WebMention and Micropub, and we use Micropub as like a standard for posting to your blog. And so that's just – I feel like it's going to be a good standard for making sure that like different blogging clients can like work together and post. So that's okay. one, WebMention. Um, yeah, what's WebMention do? So yeah, WebMention is the other. I was just kind of – Okay. Frame things because I think they kind of go hand in hand, but 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 they're separate. Web mention, it's really simple actually. Like I, you write something on your blog, uh, you write a post, and then I see it. And I like. I think, oh, this is interesting. I want to kind of reply or comment on it. I make a post on my site. You know, we we've kind of standard of the standardized this for replies, but in theory, my post could just be whatever, and I link to your site. And it's kind of uh, just by linking to it, I've, I'm referencing it, right? I, I link you link to the actual uh, URL that goes right to that content. Yeah, I, I, yeah, exactly. I link right to that specific post that I'm commenting on. So, um, 
And I do this all the time when blogging anyway, right? But this just kind of formalizes it. I link to it. And then the other thing I do is I send a web mention, web mention. I, I kind of talk about it as like pinging, but I don't think pinging is in the spec. But it's just like a real lightweight HTTP post saying, uh-huh. I link to your thing. Um, my URL is such and such. No, URL, URL is, you know, this or whatever the thing is. And then the receiving site um, l- looks at that little HTTP post that you made, and it goes back to my site that I wrote something on. It grabs the page. It looks at it and, and does something that unbelievably kind of none of the other previous, like, specifications for this kind of stuff did, which is it actually verifies that I did link to your site. Uh-huh. <laughs> Makes um, sense. And, and then it can also pull in some extra stuff. So like uh, another thing that came out of Indie Web Camp is uh, microformats. Um, sure. The, uh, you know, like it's a way to like in HTML to kind of add some data and markup um, to elements to specify things like this is a photo, this is a person's name, this is a photo, this is, uh, you know. This is an address or, entry, things like that. Exactly. And there's a whole bunch and we support them in micro.blog. We mark up all your sites as best we can in this. And when the, when a web mention happens, the site can also go. And if it uses microformats, it can, it can do things like, Oh, not only did this person reply to my site, their name's Manton, their profile photo is at this URL with this JPEG, um, you know, so things like that. And then they can include that on the site. And so, like I said, there's some WordPress plugins that make this a little easier. Still, there's still a long way to go. This this could be easier and more pervasive. So the long and the short of it is, though, that if Ryan's got his site and I, and he writes an article, I go to my site, I talk about his article, or maybe I just mention it in something I'm writing, and mm-hmm. I link to it on Brian's site, if this whole thing works effectively, my profile picture shows up like kind of like a comment on his site with content from my site. Yeah, exactly. So it's and, kinda like, and it's kind of like what Facebook does, but it's distributed to our own websites. Exactly. So it's just, there's no, in this example that we're using, there's no centralized anything. It's really just one website talking to another website. Um, but yeah, it can appear like a, like a little, like a comment and the implementations like in WordPress, basically, I think behind the scenes, they're just treated as essentially comments, um, but they don't have to be like different platforms can do different things. Micro.blog has reply threads and conversations, right? That it kind of links things together with. How do you um, deal but, with spam? So uh, one of the, one of the, well, so just verifying that it links to um, you actually solves a lot of problems, it turns out. Um, but there's a couple other things. The There's a separate kind of, I don't know if it's a separate specification or, or kind of guideline, but there's another thing that's called Web Mention Vouch, where you, I probably won't explain it very well, but it kind of brings in a third website to kind of vouch for the website that's linking, cool. and that can uh, decrease uh, spam. So I didn't create these specs or anything right. like, so I may not be describing them perfectly, but like people have thought a lot about spam. Yeah. Um, just some of this verification and checking like microformats and stuff solves some of the problem, but there's, there's definitely more. It's not like immune to spam. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's still something that we need to be thinking about. It sounds like uh, that vouch um, spec is the, the vouch site. The third party site is some sort of reputation system. I'm not as familiar. It's not a. It's not a uh, like a centralized third party site. I think it can be anybody's. Cool. Um, you just need one blog. person to vouch like, for you. Like if y'all are linking to each other, I could be the third site. Yeah. I believe. Tell me what Micropub is. In the old days of blogging, there was like I guess really it all started with Blogger. Actually, like uh, Blogger was a blogging platform. 
um, started by Evan Williams, who eventually went on to do Twitter. And they had an API that was based on XML RPC called the Blogger API. And from that, there's been these variations like the Meta Weblog API. WordPress had their own flavor. And it kind of like stuck around for a long time, maybe too long. And Micropub is just like taking that basic idea of where you could have an API on a blog and clients could use that API to post a new blog entry without having to use mm-hmm. like the WordPress web it, admin interface. You could have uh, an app. So like on the Mac, uh, I, I'm i a fan of um, Mars Edit, uh, yeah. native Mac app. And my and that's co-host, what it's using. Okay, yeah, cool. Uh, Reddit, yeah. uh, Daniel and, um And the micro.blog uh, Mac app and iOS app actually can also use this XML RPC interface to post um, to uh, a blog so that you can use the micro.blog app, but you're not locked into my platform, right? You can post to WordPress or something else using it. And that's really important that it's flexible that way. So Micropub is an R- is a XML RPC kind of protocol? No, sorry. I'm taking a long way to get there. Micropub okay. is like that idea, but like modernized. So modernized. Get, rid okay. of the, get rid of the XML. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's really, uh, it's very simple. You can just have, you can send like, form encoded, like super simple, like HTTP posts, or you can send JSON with microformats. And there's a couple of variations, but it's basically a very, very simple way to post a new post on a website. Yeah, and cool. um, pretty simple. I think it's our best kind of hope for a completely, you know, open cross-platform, just like really simple API that apps can use to talk to blogs and like do WordPress you... has their rest API and their JSON stuff, but it's extremely, um, I don't know, I guess it's kind of heavy. It's like, it's, there's all this WordPress stuff in it, right? It's yeah. not, if you, if I build like a small little blogging platform that is really simple and lightweight, I can't bring all that baggage from like a huge platform like WordPress. So something like Micropub I could do, I could support that. And so I, I hope that more people adopt it. I'm seeing more tools mm-hmm. for it and, uh, you know, we'll just see, I think, I think it's a good it's a good place to be. Are things like Tumblr and stuff using that kind of protocol or not? Unfortunately not. I, I think Tumblr, I can't remember if they used to support the, like the blogger API style of XML. I, I don't think they ever did. They have their own API. Basically it's just the Tumblr API. I'm not familiar with it, but right. it's their own thing. And that's fine for Tumblr, I guess. But like the problem is, so an app, like I mentioned, Mars Edit on the Mac, it's popular and it supports a lot of different blogging APIs. It can talk natively to Tumblr and that's fine. But if every blogging client has to support, you know, the Tumblr API, the Squarespace API, if they had one, the Blogger API, Micropub, this other thing, like not every app can support like five different APIs for all these little closed platforms. So we need one standard that is accessible and that can work across all this stuff. So I, I think that's Micropub. So let me ask you this. If I spin up a website on my own servers and everything that's using Micropub, can I use micro.bog to post to it? Yep, absolutely. Okay, so you support basically if I have, you support that protocol. So yep. I put like tokens on micro.blog and then it can be my interface and I can take advantage of your app and things like that. Yeah, so essentially when you use the either the iOS or the Mac app for micro.blog, by default, if you've if you paid me like the five dollars a month hosting thing, by default it just everything works and it posts right. to that. But you can just go into the settings and say, I have something I have a blog somewhere else. And yeah. like we say WordPress or compatible just to kind of make it make sense, but it doesn't actually have to have anything 
necessarily to do with WordPress. It could be some little custom blogging platform um, that someone whipped up. And so, yeah, the, those apps support posting via um, this this older XML RPC based API or Micropub, and they just kind of detect like, does this look like this or does this look like that? Nice. Well, I mean, I I love what you're doing. I was really happy to support the project. I'm hoping to keep on seeing it growing. I really want to be able to solve my how do I get other people out of Facebook and still be able to be online and social? And that's yeah. the thing I'm looking for. You want to solve the same guilt I have, which is that you put your family on Facebook those many years <laughs> ago and you did. regret it ever since. Exactly right. Exactly yeah. right. It's really challenging, you know? It's really difficult. Yeah, if you all have some ideas, I'd, <laughs> I'd love to hear them. <laughs> Blockchain. I feel like, oh, no. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that. But uh, I well, I was just going to say, like, I feel like, we're, I feel like we're on the right track. I've said that already, mm-hmm. but I feel like there's more to do. And like, as, as I think micro.blog is way easier to use than other kind of like attempts at blogging like this before, but like, it's not easy enough. So like, yeah. Yeah, hopefully people will continue to have good ideas and we'll be able to continue to move it forward. As you grow this service, um, do you imagine other people being able to write tools that will start to manage some of the the growth problems as, as um, people want to start filtering more or as people want to actually write some sort of algorithm of their own for their uh, timeline or, or any of these extensions that, um, you know, some developer might want to do where an open community would allow you to install that yourself. Yeah. I think we'll see kind of a different, like a few different like approaches. Like one of the things we'll definitely see that we're seeing already is people build micro.blog like client apps that are not the official app. Um, so uh, one of the, we talked about app.net, one of the kind of, I don't want to say mistakes cause like, like I think they got a lot right and I don't want to say like cast any blame there, but like one of the issues was like there was not an official app.net app and they did that kind of intentionally. And it, I think it did help the third party ecosystem, but it also hurt the usability because you couldn't just like download the app that you needed. So we tried to make sure there was at least one app for micro.blog that was something like you download the official app. Maybe it doesn't have everything you need, but there's something there. Um, Anyway, long way of saying there needs to be way more apps and we're starting to see people build some, like we don't have an official Android app. Someone is working on an Android app. Um, someone else is working on an iOS app that takes a different approach than the micro.blog official app does, which is fantastic because there's nothing special about like our client apps. I mean, I think they're pretty good and I think they're, um, they'll get, they'll get better. And I think they're a good default for people, but like, there's no real magic there. Like you should be able to switch to a completely different app um, and still post to micro.blog and still reply and, and whatnot. So we'll see some of that. And then maybe we'll see from there, we'll see even more um, kind of tools um, on top of that. Um, Brian kind of jokingly mentioned blockchains, but I do have a question about distribution of data. Like right now, you know, I like the idea that you're kind of pushing and suggesting, you know, of course, get the service through you, but also have the service somewhere else. That's fine. And, and integrate. That's wonderful. But there is this problem for me that of, maintaining my data and my blogs like you mentioned i don't know three or four services as an example like jekyll and and blog you know uh, tumblr or whatever and as you said those lists i've got active blogs on all of those or i shouldn't say yeah. active i've got stale <laughs> ones that are like little silos that are still there that i have to maintain or try right. to merge together i think everybody that's been around for a long time has that problem and maintaining that and kind of keeping it going um becomes this chore but you also, you know, you kind of suggest, you know, use your own domain name. Okay, I've got my own domain name, and then the site's gotten bigger and bigger over time. But 
I don't have the time energy to, you know, concatenate that into one system to pull in my Tumblr and my Jekyll and all that into one thing. And I have to keep on, you know, paying for the hosting of that or it goes away. What about some situation where we contribute to, I don't know, something like hosted at archive.org or a Wikipedia type form where because it's such an important aspect of our world, everybody collaboratively stores that data and services that. Yeah, that's really interesting. Haven't thought about from that side so much, but I, I definitely can relate to like my data is kind of fragmented all over the place and mm-hmm. what uh, what do we do about it? And and we definitely have people on micro.blog that have multiple blogs and like the design of micro.blog, one user account can have multiple like feeds feeding into it. So, you know, like if, if you look at Manton on micro.blog, uh, right now it's just one website, but it could be like a Tumblr blog it, plus a WordPress blog plus something else. And they all feed into the same user account, like the same, you know, to, to make the timeline. And so I think that can help some of that kind of unification, but it's, it's not a, you know, Panacea. In, in a way it's kind of hiding the, the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so have you looked at something like Steam, the social network, S T E E M social network built on top of a blockchain with the idea of it, a completely, you know, blockchain. Everybody owns all the content kind of system. I've I've looked at it a little bit actually. I just saw it maybe a week ago, and mm-hmm. I uh, I'm not, I've really kind of, I haven't jumped in too much to cryptocurrency and that whole world. Although I I kind of got pulled in a little bit because it turns out I have some Stellar Lumens, which is a new cryptocurrency, and I didn't know I had them until like a few days ago. Um, because they were giving them out free, you know, four years ago or something like that. So yeah. I've been playing in that world a little more. I've seen uh, Steam. I don't know what to think of it, to be honest, because I some of what I saw was like it looked like people trying to get rich, like quick yes. with their posts and problem. getting paid. And if enough people pay you half a, you know, a hundredth of a Bitcoin or whatever, you know, it's like uh, some of it like run me the wrong way, but I, yeah. I haven't looked at it enough to know like the scope and the kind of like what it really means. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I've just looked at the de- the dev, the dev uh, tools and thought, wow, they've got some lot of thought on how to integrate and participate with it. Um, but like the, the idea of a kind of distributed shared data model, you could also use something like um, uh, something like torrents or something where, you know, you go ahead and say, here's much, this much space on my, on my drive. And everybody does that, and basically everybody's blog has multiple copies. That kind of idea of of taking the data off of a centralized system, right? And yeah. kind of shared it by everybody, especially since you're talking about public data. There's another uh, completely distributed. I've drawn a blank on the name, unfortunately, so I can't do it justice. But there's there's another team that's working on some of this kind of stuff in a just like it's almost like another layer on top of the web. It's uh-huh. like a just completely rethink domain names and like websites. And so like, I think, I feel like people, there are other people that are more on the cutting edge of being completely distributed than yeah. I am. I'm, I have this kind of hybrid approach where like some things are distributed and some things are centralized. And a lot of yeah. that comes back to usability, but yeah, I, and, I, there and are practicality. people working on that. I feel like yeah. there are people pushing the, the edge of that. One of the things that I, I'm always get kind of try not to get frustrated with is that because we have done amazing things in the open source community and the kind of open web community of people coming up with good ideas and sharing them, right? Like the protocols you were just mentioning didn't didn't get, you know, specifically dictated by anybody. They just kind of started to merge and they've gotten popular. 
And that's yeah. awesome. But then I see, um, you know, like around Netflix, where Brian and I are sitting right now, um, there's a lot of people being paid really good money to sit and think and only develop this one very specific thing, which is streaming services for people, right? Mm-hmm. And there's an immense amount of people doing that to make it awesome. And Facebook the same way, right? And then you run into a smaller group, smaller company, and you go, they've got a great idea, but unless there can be a lot of revenue to dedicate that much man hours and people hours, excuse me, human hours to the problem, it's very hard to push the, the you know, solve the problem as fast as these corporations are doing it. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. It's something I think about a little bit because one of the reasons I think we're in the place we're at is that the the web, like you said, kind of like things evolve and you have these standards, but the web like kind of moves slowly. Like it takes a while for like, oh, yeah. someone will think about this idea about web mention or linking or some standard for blogging. Like it takes a while for this kind of stuff to uh, be adopted. But if you have a huge company like Facebook, nothing slow, nothing takes a long time with that, right? They can right. very quickly with a huge team build something and just kind of like steamroll. And so like the, the progress quote unquote progress, like a lot of the innovation and like the, what it feels like forward momentum comes from these big companies and they can just move much more quickly. And of course the issue is like their interests are not always aligned with ours. So if they move too quickly and us in the open web, we're just kind of like behind trying to catch up with, with our little <laughs> formats. Um, it had it has negative, you know, repercussions. Um, yeah. and so I've been thinking about that a little bit and like that kind of, conflict, I guess, like between like these companies that can move, uh, and very powerful can move very quickly. And then the rest of us, which are kind of like, uh, trying to make forward progress in the right way, but don't have the kind of weight of a big company, uh, behind us. But I think maybe we make up for that a little bit with like, there's a lot of people, especially in the indie web community, that are like super passionate. Like that's like, they've dedicated a lot of time to thinking about this kind of stuff. And that's kind of how I feel at micro.blog. At the beginning of the show, you talked about some of my background in Riverfold software. And I used to have more products. But like right now, like micro.blog is what I want to dedicate like everything to. I just want to focus on on that. And really, it's the, it's the kind of thing I feel like I could work on for a very, very long time. And I, I hope that there are enough people that feel that same passion in some of these indie web projects where like they're fine working on this for 10 years and or longer and that will carry us forward and yeah. uh, in, a, in a positive way well i mean hearing talking to you and hearing what you're doing and why you're doing it makes me motivated to help right and do well, that kind of thing so so thank you for being passionate about it i'm looking forward to your book and i'd love to hear more of thoughts if you do coalesce some thoughts around um more distributed of data or even this idea of of well like if you look more at steam or something i'll definitely mm-hmm. be following you and i'm fascinated by your thoughts on that kind of thing. Thank you, Manton, for joining us. This, it's been really awesome chatting with you. Hey, it was, it was great to pull you out of the interwebs and actually talk directly to you. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me on the show. It's been fun to talk about. Mm-hmm.